Hey everybody, I'm Tony. I'm Bree. And we just figured out that you know how to whistle. You whistled in the mic. Do it again. Hey, it's the first time you're 40 years old and you learned how to whistle. It's Date Night with the Woods and boy are we digging deep today. Answering a few of your questions. Which we love by the way. And then uh, with a double date on what I'm thinking will be just about as heart moving a topic as possible. All to say we are really, really looking forward to hanging out with you for the hour. Ethan, cue it. Well, I feel like we say this every week, but we really love hearing from you. When you send really a really love hearing really from you. when you send a message on Instagram or leave reviews, it gives a bit more context to who we're talking to and all you're going through. It really does. The simple truth um, is we want this to be a blessing for you, your family, your church community, just bolstering your faith and your commitment to righteousness. And that's why we're going to jump right in today. Uh, last week we posted a Q&A invitation on I guess what we're calling the Gram just to see if there were any questions, and let's just say that they, they really poured were. in. They poured in, and yeah. so we've realized we got to do the Q and A stuff more. Yeah. So what we're going to try to do, correct me if I'm wrong, hun, is trim down the front part of the pod. Can can we call it pod? That? Does anybody say pod, or is it like when I refer if to? If you want to go with pod, I'm good with pod. <laughs> Probably nobody else in the world says pod, but we're old people, and we can do that. Awesome. Like me wearing my dad's socks. <laughs> So I'm good with pod. <laughs> Ethan, okay? you're, you're, you're alpha. No, you're Gen Z. Is it okay if mom, pa over here go with pod? Oh, okay. Let's go awesome. So we're going to always try to get some questions in the front end of the pod because pod, that seems like a present need. There's no way to hit all the questions. So if we don't get to yours this week, we'll keep firing next week and hopefully uh, do our best to serve you. Because for us, it is a real fear to be answering all the questions that you're not asking. So we want to hear what's on your heart and in your life. And so, sweetie, who's doing the asking here and who's going to be doing the answering? And how many questions should we try to tackle? Mm. Well, since it's the first week, how about I read questions and you start with the answers? Good. And and then the Andersons will be here in 15 the minutes. Andersons so let's see how many we can cover. Minutos. Yes. All right. Got it. Okay. So question number one. Actually, I'm going to keep this one anonymous because it involves a couple in leading in their church. So this is a wife. Her husband is in pastoral ministry. They're shepherding a church but need help themselves out in a rural part of the country without options. Um, so not sure where they should turn. So to shorten it down, he's a pastor. She's um, um, his wife. They're in ministry. They're out in a rural part of the country. Mm-hmm. And they, they're wanting counsel themselves. Right. That's a tough one. I think first I'd say it's good that they're being honest to the need. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so easy when we're in leadership roles to kind of hide the struggles, mm-hmm. partly because it's a fishbowl and everyone's watching. And so there's this fear if people sense weakness, they'll leave the church or the ministry. And all of a sudden, the ministry starts to feel like a lonely pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact is, most of the ministry couples I know endure tough seasons. And the couples that make it are the ones that find help. I remember when we first planted Mission Bible, um, we had to meet with friends for counsel, people Absolutely. who were, were in the ministry world. And we're still turning to mentors. And we still are. Absolutely. And I'd say this is especially true in the early years because often just about the time we crank out two or three littles, you know, hubby's ministry or corporate career is entering full bloom. And so suddenly we're pulled two different directions. The home can feel like an anchor for hubby and the ministry can sometimes feel like a mistress Like to a us. mistress. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I remember you sharing that openly. 
I think um, Instagram doesn't really give us enough to answer fully, mm-hmm. but the principles I would say um, to this to this young woman is number one, ministry is a glass house and it is lonely. Mm-hmm. Number two is the years typically when the kids are in that, well, maybe basically your marriage is four to seven years old and your kids are young is when it is the most difficult. It's not until year nine where you actually will really start thinking as one, as mm-hmm. a team. And number three, don't feel in any way ashamed to pull in a good biblical counselor. Yes. Um, in a real community, I just go on to ACBC, the biblical, biblical counseling locator. I think it's biblicalcounseling.com. And um, just reach out to somebody as close as you can. And if you need to request Zoom or Google or something, maybe mm-hmm. a Google Meet or a FaceTime, do that. Okay, so question numero dos from Alicia. She's got two littles, three and 18 months. And Hi, asks, Alicia. <laughs> what does a healthy morning routine look like? I feel convicted lately not having enough time to get into the Word and work out. Ooh, a routine for the young mom. Well, mm-hmm. I'm going to let you take that for the ladies. I, I, I'll speak for the men. Brothers, our wives are a reflection of our servant leadership. And the home's diligence is going to rise no higher than the lid of our example. And we'll do a podcast, or I guess we're calling it a pod now, a pod on that next week. Part of being a Christian man is getting up early, opening the word, hitting your knees, brothers, and letting the rest of the home see that. And if your wife and kids see a man up early on his knees, he's working hard, he's home for dinner, leading the family worship, falling into bed tired, that's an image that they'll carry with them the rest of their life. In Mm -hmm. fact, we have a brother in the church came up on Sunday uh, works for the sheriff's department, and they got hit by a tax bill. Uh, and uh, his wife said, well, hey, I'll step back into the into the workforce just for a little while. He said, no, I've got this. I wow. think he was telling me he jumped his work load up to 110 hours a week. Wow. That's a man. Yeah. That's a man. And that's not sustainable long term, but that's a man who said, this is my role. Right. And um, that's what we do. Love it. So let me speak practically to the wives and mothers. The early years can be a calendar killer because baby doesn't care what time it is or what else we've got going on. So the reality is as they grow, we want them to learn they exist within our schedule. We don't circle around theirs. You know, it's that parent-led home versus the child-run home. And creating a schedule will bring security and safety to the kiddos, even as babies. And in those early years, my biggest encouragement would be to have a set time you wake up each day before the kids are up. Even if you are up in the middle of the night, keep prioritizing the word of God. It truly, I can't say this enough, is our spiritual sustenance for survival. And I found that when I'm in the word and prayed up, I can more readily serve my family with joy. Where the opposite is true, I get up late, I'm not getting dressed. They see mom lacking patience, joy, and my flesh more on display. Mm. But um, here's a tough one. Question number three from Christine. My husband. Hi, Christine. Hi, Christine. My husband loves God, but doesn't read or study the Bible or pray with me. So he's not leading the family in that way. I'm not trying to be the Holy Spirit, but feel discouraged. I'm not getting much help from my church. Ooh, okay. That's a tough one. The most common issue I think dealt with in the evangelical circles today. Mm-hmm. Hear the question all the time. Church is packed with women wanting to grow, and there's a lack luster or just a passive man who's distracted by him, his own story and, and it's heartbreaking. Let me just say on a theological level, and there's only two possibilities and this actually may require a sensitivity button because I want to be really, really thoughtful here. Um, and Ethan, do you have the button? Let's just do this so ladies understand I'm saying this because I, I don't know. Okay, there we go. Very nice. So this is, I don't know your husband. I don't know him and brothers, if you're listening, I understand. I don't know all you're going through. So I say this with, um, with incredible amount of love and patience, but there's really only two options theologically. When a man says that he loves God, but he doesn't love the word of God, prayer to God, or investing in the people of God, his home, in this case specifically, either number one, he's a false convert, 
doesn't matter what you profess. It's what you, what you show, what you possess. Or number two, and there's a slight possibility here, he's a very immature Christian. That's the vibe in, in 1 Corinthians, right? Either way, the answer for your wife, in this case, Christine, is the same. This comes down to your example. The more Christ that you radiate in action, the more impacted he'll potentially be. And that's the heart of what Peter wrote. Remember in First mm-hmm. Peter, he wrote into a culture where wives could be outcast for their faith. And he said, I'm sure you've heard it, wives, respect your own husbands so that even if any are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your pure and respectful behavior. And he doesn't just say live it out. He even goes on further and he reminds the wife not to fear. And he uses Sarah as an illustration, and Bree and I have talked about this. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think I taught on this in the Fuse series for For the Gospel. Peter goes on and he says, How she obeyed Abraham, remember Sarah, even calling him Lord and doing right without being frightened by any fear. And we got to remember, Abraham was dragging her all over Mesopotamia. He's throwing her into these really precarious situations. And the point is, is that she'd thrown her trust on the sovereign Lord to do right and to trust the consequences to the counsel of God. And I want Bree to chime in on, in on this, but I've told this story. Bree did that for me. Early on, I wasn't investing in her. I wasn't leading well. And she came home. I came home one time for dinner, and I sat down at the table, and our kids were actually behaved. They were in their high chairs. Everything was calm. And then I remember she curtsied, <laughs> and she put, do you remember this? And you put the dinner on the table and said, dinner is served, my Lord. My Lord. And you had been on the phone with an older woman in the faith, and they had said, hey, listen, even if he's not doing his role, do yours. Hmm. And it hit me, you know, this gal's going to model Christ because she loves Christ. And regardless of what I'm doing, um, she's going to live for Christ. And that had a massive impact impact on me. It, it mm. lit a fire in me. Yeah, and I would just add, you know, we submit to our husbands as unto the Lord, as Ephesians 5 tells us. And when I'm frustrated with how Tone is acting or lack of direction, I can tend to speak my concerns in the heat of frustration rather than being slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to anger. But I've learned if I write out my concerns for him, I'm more apt to think through my words, hold them up to the Bible as the authority, and then pray before, during, and after I read those words to him, there's only so much we can do. And the Holy Spirit has to do the work in the heart. So figuratively speaking. Figuratively speaking. (laughs) On that last point, Christine did mention that. She said, I know I'm not the Holy Spirit. So she obviously is acknowledging that that as well. Yeah. So just asking, you know, are our knees bloody from praying? Mm. And all right. So time flies when we're having fun. Time for the one more from Alex. Absolutely. Hi, Alex. <laughs> absolutely love her transparency. You gotta say hi to people here. Hello. So, okay, warning. If kids are tuned in, it's a bit PG-13. This is a PG-13 mm-hmm. question, we so we an should alarm? cue an alarm. Do we have an alarm, Ethan, that we can play? Let's do that. Moms and dads, if you have a son or daughter who is under the age of 13, we just want to give you a heads up. I thought we had a warning alarm. All right. There it is. Oh, that's, yeah. That's well, like a 1980s police it really car. Is. It reminds me of growing up as a kid. 80s What's movies. that one? Yeah. Show Bad Boys, Bad I Boys. Don't, <laughs> I don't know. Can we sing that on date night? <laughs> All right. So Alex has a one-year-old, is six months preggers, and says, my libido has vaporized this pregnancy. I want to please my husband, but I'm not sure how. Ooh, my mm-hmm. libido has vaporized. I want to please my husband, but I'm not sure how. That's such a great question. I think it's so great. I'm going to let you answer. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> we, we can do a whole episode on this, but I, I don't think I want to step into this one. Okay. Well, let's keep it simple. Paul gives the principle in 1 Corinthians 7 where he's trying to help married couples. And he says, once we're married, 
our body belongs to our spouse and their body belongs to us. And when it comes to sexual desires to satisfy each other, and really the only time to take a break is for matters of prayer, things that weigh down the soul, and these will naturally push sex to the back burner. So now applying that principle is unique to every couple, right? So because so many factors impact sexual desire, you know, health, diet, age, communication, emotions, culture, time, stress, kids, spiritual connectedness, and like Alex said, pregnancy. So here's one way to go. If intercourse is difficult. Intercourse? The intercourse. Don't you hate the intercourse? You are being horrible today. Okay, so if that is difficult and you've hit what? a season, What is difficult? You know you, you can say Are you nervous horrible. to say it? If intercourse is difficult or if... Our son's in the room. This is just <laughs> awkward. <laughs> intercourse. Yes. It's a, this is a very normal oh. reality of life. He will soon be married. Yes, yes, I'm sweating right now. So if you've hit a season where it's not naturally romantic anymore and pregnancy is one of those for sure, sit down together and discuss other options. And what I mean without sounding too scientific is just ask Cubby how often he desires intimacy before it becomes a distraction for him. And then mark it on the calendar with a small little heart and use what you got to please him. And the point being that even in seasons where your libido isn't as active, your choice to love still can be. And I think it's important, um, just a broad broad brush here, mm-hmm. that for everyone to understand that that type of honesty will not harm your sex life. No. It'll strengthen it. If one spouse is willing to love that way, selflessly, even when there's nothing in return, you know, it's this, it's not romantic, it's not like the movies anymore and all that stuff, it deepens your bond. Yes. The world makes sex the end all because that's all they have. They don't have anything else. But God gave sex as an external expression of an internal devotion. So all it is is the the outworking, the application of what's going on in the heart. Mm-hmm. And the way that you meet your husband's desire, or flip it around, a man, his wife's, is just a physical expression of that spiritual union. So I hope that's encouraging for Christine or anybody else yeah. to understand when you come together and talk about these things on date night, you communicate, you work out a plan, uh, even if it isn't like with movie music and all that anymore, right. it's still going to grow your love, your dedication, and your allegiance to one another. Okay, well... That's all we've got time for today. I feel so bad because there's so many more. There's so many more. I absolutely love it. I love hearing from everyone. But the Andersons are almost here. And they we need to are set this up on their way in. Uh, let me set it up. Okay. Well, we are going to have some double dates on really fun topics, but there's also going to be a few that will take us into the raw and even the sorrowful seasons of life. And this is one of those. And we can't wait to spend time with this absolute gem of a couple. Well, here they are now. Doorbell. <laughs> All right. Well, hello, Mark and Chelsea Anderson. It is so good to have you on date night and to have this double date together. And uh, we got to go ahead and just clarify before we dig in. We're going to be talking life a little bit. But first things first, everybody listening needs to know because they can't see it about Mark's mustache. Right. Chelsea, do you have anything to say about that mustache? It's all you've ever known at this point. I've seen him without it. But oh. one of my favorite notes about the mustache is when I'm meeting new people at church and I'm trying to like say, oh yeah, my Mark, my husband's Mark. He's the guy with the mustache the guy in the with camera. The mustache. That's <laughs> exactly like, oh, right. Oh yep. yeah. I get phone calls. We'll talk about this in a second, but I get phone calls from other people and they're like, hey, you know, do you have anyone, you know, that could do any video for us at such and such conference? And they're like, especially the guy with the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I went online today and I looked up mustaches. Is that what they're called or are they mustache? Plural. Ooh, like. I don't know. I think it's singular because I only have one. So but it's broken up into two halves. So maybe it's plural. Fascinating. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's a whole podcast yeah. right there. So <laughs> what I think I want to know is I looked up handlebar versus hook. Handlebar versus hook. What do you call yours? 
I guess I would go with handlebar at this point. Um, it's kind of structural to my face now, so I don't know if you'll ever see me without <laughs> it, but uh, that, that's what I would go with What handlebar. people don't know if they're outside of Orange County, if they're here in Mission, they know this, is that your mustache is a cultural icon, <laughs> and it's such a staple. Most of us forget if it was trimmed, then nothing would ever be the same. You know, it, it's Definitely like not. when big events happen, and you're like, it was never the same since that date. If that got trimmed, that's what would happen. <laughs> And also, Chelsea just told us right now when we were starting about your water bottle. Do you want to, Chelsea, can you tell us a little more about Mark's water? We all have regular water bottles. Yeah. But he has apparently. A gigantic water a bottle. Yeah, it's like a gallon bottle. water bottle. Yeah. It's pretty obnoxious. It's but one gallon. You got to stay hydrated. And it has like time marks down the side. So we can like, by 10 o'clock, you have to hit that mark. By two o'clock, you have to hit that mark. Do you really do that? You measure out your water intake per I, day? Um, I mean, I just fill it up in the morning and just finish it by the end of the day is like the goal. That's, That's incredible. Yeah. That is. It's also just I have to fill it up once and then I'm good for the day. I don't have to worry about it again. You know, the big problem, though, that everyone I'm sure is thinking about right now is what do you do in the car? Because anything that's oversized doesn't fit in the cup holder and frustrates me to no end. Yes. What do you do with a 10-gallon water bottle in uh, the car? It's funny. I had that experience on our way here. I had to, like, clear out space in the back seat to make sure it was, like, laying flat. It can't just be on the seat. It has to be on the floorboard so it's not, like, flopping around and, like, breaking stuff. you got so. a seat belted in. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's got a car seat for the water bottle. <laughs> I love it. And, Chels, you are always so beautiful, just always exuding the light and the love of Christ. So we are so thankful that you guys are here with us today. We I'm are. excited to be here. And have you heard of our buttons? Yes. Okay, we've got some fun ones. I mean, let me see what ones we could do. Ethan, how about this? When they arrived, we have a doorbell. Nope, that's the car. That's the car. <laughs> there was a doorbell, but that was the car. How about this one? If Mark messes up, or in this case, if Ethan messes up, then R.C. Sproul will yell at him. What's wrong with you people? That's what you get for messing up the button. I'm serious. And if Tony's insensitive? I'm never insensitive. Okay. All right. You guys know that one. So first things first, Date Night Family has never met you. So introductions are in order. You have been part of Mission Bible for, I think, is it been 10 years? Almost. You're almost pioneers. Almost. You really are. And Mark, people will know you once I mention your work. Mm -hmm. So American Gospel, For the Gospel. But what they don't know is you're the one that help, helps to do the filming. Correct. You're, you're behind the scenes on all that. Can you tell us a little bit more about kind of your story, your journey, and where you work? Yeah, so I'm from Michigan originally. I've been in California for about 10 years. I moved out here for work originally. Uh, and as you mentioned, I work full-time in video production. Uh, so I'm way comfortable behind a camera and not comfortable at all in front of a microphone right now. So this is <laughs> a lot of the ordinary, but um, we're excited to be here. Um, yeah, right now I'm an independent contractor, which has allowed me to work on uh, cool projects like American Gospel uh, contributing to that, um, working on some videos for For the Gospel, and then being able to serve here at Mission on video production team, I guess, for yeah. the and last nine people years. People need to know, everything we've ever done, it's always been roles reversed. Yeah. You're behind the camera, you're very comfortable and chill, and then this for you is is like, we're both sweating beads right now. Yeah, this is not normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so let me just ask, what's the most exciting interview, that besides mine, of course, that you've ever done? Ooh. Um, I had the opportunity on the first American Gospel to uh, record with uh, Pastor MacArthur. Mm. That was yeah. uh, that was pretty awesome. Yep. You know, wow. aside from local church pastors, he's definitely had the most influence on my life spiritually. So that was kind of, I mean, a little bit of an out of body experience just sitting there asking him the interview questions that I was supposed to ask him. But that was pretty epic. Would you also chalk that up as the most intimidating interview you've ever done? Uh, 
it was up there for sure. And uh, this is like, I think funny. Um, I wasn't sure how to dress for that interview. Normally when we're doing video production, it's just like a black t-shirt and blue jeans. But I mean, every time I've ever seen John MacArthur, he's wearing a suit. So I'm like, how do I have to dress? So I, I wore a sports coat to the interview, which is kind of embarrassing uh, working in video production, but I don't know. I had to look good for so it. So you wore awesome. a suit to interview John MacArthur <laughs> yeah. and then you got there and he's wearing like board shorts, right? He's, <laughs> he's like, what you doing, man? Maybe like <laughs> just got off church. the golf course. Just yeah. Of course, yeah. That's wonderful. Okay, and Chell, some people might not know you are an excellent wife, first and foremost, incredible cook, a legal assistant, phenomenal counselor. You're always helping women who are in need in some shape or form at church, and you're quickly moving toward your certification as an ACBC biblical counselor. Can you share a bit more about that? Yeah, so like Pastor Tony mentioned, we've been members here at NBC um, since about 2013. Um, Mark and I together co-lead a um, discipleship group, and I also serve as a biblical counselor, and I am pursuing my certification through ACBC, and I'm so excited about that. Um, Mark and I also just love hiking. I definitely love cooking. I love baking. Mm. What do you bake? Ooh. (laughs) What's your favorite thing to bake? Almond cake. I do love baking an almond cake, um, but it always kind of changes. It depends like what season it is. I find a recipe and I'm like, I want to learn how to bake that. And then I just do it over and over and over again. So question with almond cake, is that like a very dry cake and then it has to have a special drizzle over the top or is it a moist cake? This is a very like dense, moist cake. It's almost like chewy and Mm. doughy a little bit in the center. Sounds really good. That does really good. That's incredible. (laughs) Okay, so let's go ahead and kind of dive deep. So we're up here in the clouds, and we're having a date night, obviously, for a reason, which I already know is going to help tremendously um, thousands of people around the world or more. Um, Most of our listeners don't know your story. So June 14th, five years ago, am I right on the date? June 14th, five years ago, I know we just had the, the, the anniversary, the birthday, your life radically changed. And so, Chelsea, is it okay? Can we jump in and start with yeah, you? Definitely. Can you kind of take us on a human level there and tell us the story about Jocelyn Grace? Yes. So, like you mentioned, June 14th, uh, 2017, that's what we call our daughter, Jocelyn Grace. It's her heavenly birthday. Um, but the story really kind of starts at the beginning of the pregnancy. So, at about five weeks pregnant, um, I got really sick with hyperemesis, um, and we had back-to-back ER trips. We had a miscarriage scare at 12 weeks, and then at about 20 weeks at the big anatomy scan, um, the doctors gave us five what they called abnormalities, um, and they basically told us, okay, we need to go back, we need to check again, and see if we're what we're seeing is actually there. And so we go back, and then they say, okay, we're seeing those five abnormalities, but we're also seeing this, and they added a few more things to the list. Mm. And that really kind of set the tone for the whole pregnancy. Um, the rest of the pregnancy, I remained sick with hyperemesis. Um, the abnormalities, the list kept on growing um, and progressing and getting worse. And just the prognosis looked really bleak. Um, we were on monitoring three plus times per week, driving down to Long Beach. Um, At one point, we were given a 2% life expectancy rate for our our child and were even told to terminate. Um, At about 30 weeks, Jocelyn's abnormalities progressed so much that it actually became a health risk for me to continue carrying her. Um, And then finally, at 38 weeks, we went into just a normal monitoring session because by that time, they were very normal to us. 
Um, and there was just no heartbeat right away. And from there, we just induced and had to go through labor and delivery in the process of delivering our stillborn daughter. What week was that that you that she was in? You were induced and she was she was born. What Thirty-eight week? weeks. Thirty-eight weeks. Yeah. So basically, full term. Yep. Um, now it, you said quite a few things in there. I think that are interesting. Is it okay if I just probe a little bit further of there course, on the story? Yeah. So very early on, it was about week or is it month five? That week five. Week five yeah. There were already concerns. What's that like for for you? First pregnancy basically newlyweds you've been married a a few years but you're young and this thing that everyone expects and pictures since the time that they're little to go a certain way is all of a sudden going a different way what was kind of going through your guys head what were your conversations like oh that's such a good question um it was definitely tough you know I knew that you can you know be sick you're gonna have morning sickness but here I was I was laid out from like five weeks. Mm -hmm. I was struggling to sip on water. Um, It was tough. And then, you know, you go on Instagram or you see blogs and mommy things and it's like they're working out or they're wearing high heels and they look great and they have that pregnancy glow and all of these great things. So there was definitely a lot of comparing and a lot of kind of questioning. Mm -hmm. Um, But at first... So can I ask there, did you have any friends, and I'm trying to remember back five years ago, that were at the same stage, you get pregnant together... And then this begins to happen. They continue on trajectory. Did you have any at that time? Yeah, we had a few. Had a few. <clears throat> Excuse me. So take us into that journey a little bit, if you're if you're willing. What's it like when your friends are moving forward and things are, we'll quote, you know, say happy and healthy, and then you're starting to process that kind of the Instagram moment also live. What's going on in your heart at that time? Mm, lots of sin, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, yeah, it was, it was tough. It was like the balance of like, these are like my sisters who I love and I want to be so joyful for them. But there were days where like my own sin and my own grief through like what was happening totally stole that joy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely hard mm-hmm. for sure. And Mark, were you there in the hospital when the doctors kind of said, we probably should just terminate the pregnancy? Yeah, that was uh, at a follow-up ultrasound appointment, and you know they're just kind of going through very clinical. These are these are things we're seeing, and we see a collection of these types of abnormalities that usually means um, no very low life expectancy or um, low quality of life for the child. And there's a whole host of potential outcomes. I guess what that would look like uh, should the child live. Um, and yeah, so so they presented it to us like here's is very matter of fact like this is what it is and this is what we recommend. What do you guys want to do? And um, we were, it was a pretty easy decision. Just you know, we're not going to terminate the pregnancy. That's not an option for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately, they were understanding. I guess um, we've heard of other stories of other families going through the same thing that have had more difficult experiences with the medical staff. So while that was presented to us, they did respect those wishes once mm-hmm. we kind of made them known and were very clear uh sure immediately that that was not how we wanted to proceed yeah so you've got this journey that so many other people you know i'm sure have have been on where everyone's life is moving forward normal you guys are in this tremendous amount of trial and pain take us all the way up to that day because i know i remember a lot of people were praying and we were really hoping Mm -hmm. that the lord would answer but then we hit week 38 and i remember just snippets of the story um where you were, you know, you're wheeled into that room and you have to go through this process. 
of in, it's it's hard to even even to state it, but it's birthing death on a human level. Can you kind of take us into that experience of what it's like? Um, I mean, obviously, without being super graphic, but just kind of letting people into and, and, and able to sympathize with us, with you a little bit on that. What was that day like? Yeah, it was. Um, I think Mark and I have both kind of talked about this like in a weird way. It was kind of peaceful, mm-hmm. I think, for us spiritually, because we had been, you know, 38 weeks. That's full term. And pretty much from the beginning, we had been, in a sense, like just waiting for our daughter to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when we hit 38 weeks, it was actually the same week that we were t- making plans with our doctor. to like, okay, like come Thursday, we're going to induce and we're going to deliver this baby. And with all her abnormalities, like here's our plan mm-hmm. to help save her life, essentially. Um, and it was Tuesday when we went into the appointment and... Obviously, there's just a ton of grief, but in a weird way, it's like, okay, I know right where she is. She's now in heaven. She has a glorified body. There's no longer any of these abnormalities. So in that sense, it brought so much peace because it had been something that we had been waiting for, and now it's here. Yeah, for sure. It was... uh it was in a, a weird way. It was just, this is what the answer is to the question that we'd had on our minds for months at that point. So in some ways it was nice to, okay, like this is, this is the reality and that we're not waiting for that shoe to drop. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't think what we realized at the time was that we we're most afraid, okay, of finding out that our daughter had passed away, you know, that's difficult. But then what I didn't realize, cause I hadn't really experienced grief before, you know, on uh, a level like that, you know, grandparents passed away, that kind of thing, but nothing that hit that close to home, so to say, and not understanding what the next few months would look like, kind mm-hmm. of experiencing grief for the first time. And the, it, the answer, we, we got the answer we needed, but then it created a whole host of other, you know, challenges, I guess, after that. Right. Mm. That's interesting. Cause even in a, just a typical movie context, pe- people may have been brought into moments of pain, but nobody can ever prepare for the moments after the pain, the or the days, the weeks, the years that come afterwards. I remember you guys took, because you're a photographer, you took some photos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell us about that, the decision to do it? I still remember the photos. Mm-hmm. I remember the black and white that you did. Mm-hmm. And then we've done for other couples in the church since. Um, can you take us into the heart of that a little bit? Yeah, of course. So um, I guess uh, coincidentally before... Um, we had Jocelyn, um, we knew some people that I worked with who had, um, lost a baby and had a stillborn and they were connected with a nonprofit that, um, shoots photos for families who go through what we went through. Um, so that was kind of in the back of our minds already. And, um, someone mentioned to us, you know, are you guys going to get photos? Do you want us to have somebody come down and shoot photos for you kind of thing? And, um, as someone who has a camera in their hand all the time doing photo and video, one of the things that I was looking forward to with raising a family is being able to uh, shoot photos of, of the kids, you know, and that's, uh, I, that's one of the ways I connect with the environment that I'm in is shooting photos. So, you know, when we go on vacations, like I don't care about souvenirs, but I love shooting photos. Like that's how I remember. <laughs> that's and, so you know, true. I, yeah. I, it's it's my favorite vacation thing. you're on. I always think Chelsea's 
always by herself walking through the woods. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on vacation. By yeah, because yeah. I always look at it through your POV. Mm-hmm. Everything is, that's fascinating. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I, I love shooting photos and uh, documenting things. And it felt like, uh, I guess it was maybe a therapy of sorts of being able to kind of have that interaction like with the child that I was looking forward to having. Um, so I was, I was grateful to have that opportunity. Um, and it was just like one of those things in the moment. It's like, I don't know if I really want to do this right now. You know, you're, you're kind of in shock, you know, like the ears are ringing a little bit, so to say. Um, but it was just one of those things like in the moments, if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it in the, in the future. So, Mm -hmm. um, very, very grateful that we were able to do that and have those photos of her. And you had a memorial too, a little service. Mm -hmm. And then you've already mentioned just rejoicing the fact that Jocelyn Grace is in heaven. She's full. She's with our Lord. And one day, very soon, we'll get to meet her and show her up to you and throw arms around you and say, mom. Um, Mark, let me ask you just a question as as a husband and a man. Your wife is going through this. It's 38 weeks, hospital visits, back and forth, the ups and downs. Speak to the realities of leading a young wife through that level of tragedy. Because there's guys listening, and then the wives can be uplifted by the example of your, of your wife. The men are going, I need, I need advice. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I'll just state the obvious that it's only by God's grace that I was able to lead uh, well at any moment during that season mm-hmm. um, it's interesting I think in some ways it wasn't uh, it was easy a little bit to lead during that time in that um, it really you get tunnel vision when you get hit with like hard news like that and you know this is this is the reality that we're facing um, I was thinking about Matthew six thirty four and not worrying about tomorrow and letting tomorrow's worries be enough for tomorrow and focusing on today and that's an easy verse to like pass by I'd read a million times you know but when you literally have like the whole way to the world in that one day you really can't think about tomorrow. So it was able to focus things for us. So, you know, when, for example, when the doctor's like, do you guys want to terminate the pregnancy? It's just like, no, like that's not a hard decision. That's mm-hmm. not something we wrestle with. That's just like an immediate thing. So like, let's move on to the next thing and figure things out. Um, but after that, you know, it was obviously very challenging in a lot of ways. Um, I think it was really humbling because me as a husband, I want to be the protector and I want to play the role of God at times and, you know, fix the pain that Chelsea's experiencing. And I, it's a pain that I can't fix in that moment. So really it's like a crash course in what my role as a husband is. And that starts with submitting to God and his sovereignty, regardless of the situation. So submission to God's sovereignty um, was huge. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, wrestling with verses about that, praying that way, meditating on that, that was that was huge and just kind of, uh, it's like the old cliche, but letting go, letting God, like, I mean, it's literally God is sovereign. He's sovereign over this child's life. There's literally nothing I can do right now Mm -hmm. as much as I wish I could control it as much as I want to take away the nausea that she's feeling as much as I want to find the cure to make our daughter live as much as I want to snap my fingers and take away the grief that she was experiencing afterwards. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a a crash course in submission to God. Mm -hmm. Um, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. A crash course in submission. Yeah. That's adversity. That's trial. Big time. I am training you right now to trust me because you have no choice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, There's, I guess, a few practical things I did, you know, because I like practical stuff, I guess. Uh, um, We we prayed before every single doctor's visit. You know, that was was huge. We... um, 
we had like a list of Bible verses that like kind of spoke into like the different things that we were experiencing, the sin, the emotion that we were, would read through when we're sitting in monitoring appointments, you know, recognizing that God is forming this child in the womb right now and he's numbered the amount of days and just reflecting on that. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. that machine is telling us, God is sovereign, the machine isn't sovereign. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also we, I think we are planning without realizing God's providence that we are already uh, at a, in a good church. We had a good Bible group around us. We had close family around us that were all pretty supportive. You know, one of the things I've heard you talk about in all the sermons that we've heard from you over the years is uh, young couples, someday you're going to experience a trial and everything seems lollipops and kittens right now, but mm-hmm. someday things are going to get real. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to understand that from an intellectual perspective, but we're so grateful that we had those guardrails around us for when yes. that storm did hit. And it's very true. Yeah. yeah. So now it's been five years and, you know, how do you see the hand of God uh, today? Oh, in so many ways. Um, I always kind of called it painfully beautiful because the pain and the grief Mm -hmm. is all so real. Um, But there's so much beauty in our season and what happened. Um, Definitely the Lord just sustained me, renewing my mind with truth daily, Mm -hmm. especially after the fact, like during grief. Like, a grieving mind can travel far. Like, I, my mind would just want to go. And just renewing my mind with truth. Um, there are so many opportunities to share the goodness of God. Um, so many times where we would rejoice and praise the Lord, and people would be confused by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was awesome. Definitely, like, referencing, like, Second Corinthians 1-4, like, there were so many opportunities to love and come alongside other people now um, that we are just so grateful for. Um, and another big way I saw the providence of God in his hand during this season was in sanctification. Mm. Kind of mentioned it earlier and giggled a little bit, but like, whew, like my sin. Um, I learned the hard lesson that our circumstances are not an excuse for our sin. Mm. And I totally tried to play that card with God a few times. You know, I was physically recovering. I was felt mentally and emotionally drained. I was just grieving and I just wanted comfort. I just wanted what was easy. Um, and that was not conviction of sin, (laughs) um, but God was just so gracious, gracious and totally sanctified me and grew me so much during that season. Mm. Uh, Mark and I both kind of say that that was the most time that we've ever been like assured of our salvation was Mm. during that time and just watching what the Lord did in our lives and in our marriage. I know myself included. Um, there are so many that had come to you guys in this time wanting to comfort you and you comforted them through the truth of the Lord and um, just so incredible to be able to be a part of your lives and, and see all that he was doing. But what happens to the emotions? You know, are there things mm-hmm. that resurface? Um, is it different today? Yeah, definitely. The emotions are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, they look a little different. The challenges, the sin that arises um, is different, but it's all still there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ultimately you know, my biggest prayer during the time was like, okay, Lord, like whatever happens, like, I just want to glorify you. So as I'm experiencing different emotions and the ups and downs and everything, just making sure that my emotions were processed biblically. Mm -hmm. Cause like I said, I just wanted comfort. I just wanted what was easy. I didn't want to process the emotions I was feeling and Mm -hmm. what sin that might be tied to. Um, I just, you know, kept praying and asking the Lord just to help me glorify him and honor him in that season. And even today, you know, emotions and there's still different triggers and just making sure that 
I process my emotions. Mm-hmm. God gave us emotions. Are you willing to take us into a little bit of today? Because yeah. on this issue, and um, it just came to my mind right now, and I'm not trying to press, but it was just three months ago now that this kind of resurfaced again Yeah. with um, a miscarriage, if that's okay. Yeah. I share. I don't know if Absolutely. that's public. It is now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we kind of walked through that in its... Um, in its seed stages a little bit again. Mm-hmm. You guys obviously have to have conversations as a couple. Are we going to conceive again? When? How? Yeah. And I know this is totally raw, but are you willing to take us behind the scenes on that and let us know what those conversations are like? Because then you did get pregnant again. God mm-hmm. chose to take the child. How does that How does that work now, five years later in the sanctification process? Yeah, that's definitely still something that's raw that I'm still working through. Mm. Um, It sounds silly, but there were moments where like, I was kind of surprised that I was like struggling with the same sin. (laughs) Like I laugh at myself because it's like, hello, like I do not have this all figured out by any means. Um, But yeah, like different sin of like coveting or comparing like Mm. the pregnancy. Again, I was sick right off the bat, Mm -hmm. like again with hyperemesis. Um, and so just so many of the same questions that like after this season with Jocelyn, you know, we were so assured of our salvation and we were like in such a solid place and it was just processing grief. And so now five years later, having another miscarriage and like so many of those same, like just yucky sins creep up and yucky thoughts creep up and just things that want to steal my joy. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, it's like, it's understandable that I'm struggling with those specific sins, But again, my circumstances aren't an excuse for sin. And so making sure we process that biblically and we're talking about it and we're confessing it and, you know, processing all those emotions and thoughts and everything, Mm -hmm. because, you know, we're not done. God's not done with us. Another trial can come. Like, we don't know if we're, God's going to bless us with kids. We can have another stillborn. We could have another miscarriage. You know, we might not be able to conceive. We don't know. Mm. Um, But just making sure that like, no matter what we're going through, whatever sin we're struggling with, that we're processing it together. Um, and he does such a good job at leading me through that. And yeah. Hmm. Well, I, I, I think just l- honestly listening to you talk, I- I'm, I'm being sanctified. I'm being mo- moved. I'm being blessed. I can only imagine how many other people are going to be thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. That line, our circumstances are not an excuse for sin. Is that my saying it right? Yeah. I have... I, I have studied and preached a lot of sermons. I've never heard that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a pregnant, no pun intended, um, very, very, very important truth for us all to take away from this. And on that note, I think it's important to kind of turn to us as church members because we're your family and we're your friends. You guys are going through all of this. And then there's this whole community of faith that's trying to figure out how to go through it with you. Um, so, if you had you had the opportunity to tell everyone now looking back what was helpful what was harmful speak to all of us as Christians and fellow church members you know what let's start with the negative what and we all do this cuz we're trying to figure it out but what what wasn't helpful in the tragedy what were some things that you go that just caused more more pain mm-hmm. um <clears throat> i think maybe the first thing that comes to mind is just avoiding the situation entirely. Um, this idea of paralysis by analysis of, I don't want to, uh, say the wrong thing to 
I don't want to say the wrong thing and be insensitive. I don't want to do the wrong action. You know, um, I think just showing up was was the biggest thing because um, the reality is, is no one's going to be able to take away the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something I feel comfortable talking about because I was like the biggest culprit with it. You know, there'd be days after we're out of the hospital and, you know, we're processing grief, but it's a good day, you know, quote unquote good day. And Chelsea's smiling and things, things are, seem like they're in a, things are happy right now. But the reality is, is it's always right below the surface. So maybe I was dealing with grief or, you know, I had a question or would want to bring it up, but I would be hesitant to, because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to upset Chelsea trying to, again, be the protector that I can't really protect in that, in that way. Um, so I, I did it all the time too with, with her, just like in our marriage. Um, but it was always, um, things were way better every time we just talked about it. We didn't always want to talk mm-hmm. about it, you know? Um, but when after, afterwards it was, we felt better every time. And, you know, that's where growth came from was actually having that dialogue. So not avoiding the situation, I guess is, mm-hmm. would be my advice. So people just kind of kept 10 feet from you at all times um, or, maybe, or talk about everything other than what the obvious. Yeah. Maybe and you're going, Hey guys, we're open to, to sharing and breaking bread and talking and yeah. praying. And yeah. Is yeah. there anything else on that, that you go, Hey, red flag, everybody. And obviously with sensitivity, cause people are, we're all still learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But was there one big or two big things you go? That was hard. Yeah. I had a couple times people say like, Oh, it's going to be okay. Like you're going to have kids. And it would just, like, be a dagger sometimes. Like, first, it's ignoring the fact that I do have a kid. Her name's Jocelyn, right? Mm-hmm. But also, it's like I know they meant it from a place of, like, trying to comfort and trying to give me hope. Um, but like we kind of talked about, you know, five years later, there's still not kids in the home, right? And I don't put my hope, while we have a great desire to have children, I don't put my hope in that. Mm-hmm. And so when you're trying to comfort others who are in tragedy, there's so much good encouragement to use from the pages of scripture. Mm. And so don't make like statements of fact that aren't biblically supported because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I'm not promised a kid. Right. And so telling me, oh, it's okay. Like you're going to have kids in the future. It's like, I might not. And if that's God's will, like I have to learn to live with that and learn to be content with it. Mm. But you're trying to give me hope that, isn't biblically promised to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just be careful with those words. And if you just want to comfort somebody, if you don't know how to speak to what they're going through, there are so many passages of scripture that are just, you can comfort a soul with passages of scripture. Like, mm-hmm. so yeah. Are there any that you want to share? Ooh, put on the spot. I didn't write <laughs> me down. <laughs> no Mark wrote down a bunch from like the list that we used to go to. It's like first Peter one, six through nine. Mm-hmm. Um, Psalm one thirty nine was just something Mark and I stuck to. Like mm-hmm. I feel like every day we were reciting that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Job two, um, Psalm twenty verse seven. And I know for me during that time, James one was just like a gold to mm-hmm. me. Like just learning to consider trials joy mm-hmm. and what that really meant and also just studying contentment throughout the Bible mm-hmm. of understanding that it's something that we learn and it's a process. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So, good. so let me flip it. What was one thing on each side for Mark and for Chelsea? So one big thing someone did and you're like, that was incredible. Mm-hmm. They, they nailed it. That fed us, that supported us, it encouraged us. Hmm. I'll start, I'll say just remembering her, remembering Mm -hmm. Jocelyn. Like we had a lot of people put down June 14th and remember that date. 
And that just means so much to us. Like, she is our daughter. We know right where she is. We call it her heavenly birthday. We celebrate it every year. And so just remembering Jocelyn is just such a blessing to us. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, people who did that and would show up to the little uh, anniversaries that we'd have, heavenly birthdays that we'd have for her. Um, and I think there's there's groups of uh, people who would just be really intentional at checking in um, months after the fact. And I think that was one thing that we learned was that um, experiencing grief for the first time, everyone was so kind and everyone wants to help. And I know it, it all comes from, you know, a good place of just like, what can we do? That's just like church people, you know, do you need a meal train? Do you need this or that? You're just like, you're just like, when over- in doubt, make food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But, um, that kind of naturally peters out after a couple months because everyone mm-hmm. has their own lives and everyone has their own trials that they're going through. There's plenty going on, but there's folks who would kind of check in six months, a year, even after. And mm-hmm. that felt, that was really nice because, then we understood more so in the time like hey this is like what i'm struggling with and then we could hang out and talk with them and you know that yeah. was that was a real blessing mm-hmm. that's awesome so let me ask kind of coming back up out of the deep waters what's the next 5 years hold for for you guys and obviously there's it's all if the lord wills but what's the, what are the dreams the goals the objectives the desires in your life as a couple um i mean we definitely still would love to have a family you know whatever mm-hmm. that looks like if that's you know, naturally, if that's adoption or something of that form, you know, that's still high up on the priority list. Will um, your child grow a handlebar mustache? This is an important <laughs> question. They must, yes. They must. So <laughs> when your son's 13, <laughs> yeah. it's like, buddy, you're out of here. Exactly. You can't grow this. Most men can't grow something like that. That's how epic it is, right? Um, oh, I love it. I, I hope my my video production business can grow to the point where I can get Chelsea to work on it full time. Cause she's an excellent administrator. Mm. That's my dream is that we could be like Mark and Chelsea video or something like that. Love it. I love that. Right? Mark and Chelsea.com. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> Save that sound bite. We need it. We should change our button. We can add a Mark and Chelsea.com. Yes. That's great. I love it. Anything you would add dreams, goals, if the Lord mm. should will. Other than working for Mark's company? Not working yeah. for Mark. <laughs> I'd prefer not to work for my husband. No, I would just definitely echo Mark of wanting to have a family, if the Lord wills, um, but just continue and hopefully actually be certified through ACBC and just be able to continue to serve and love on the church. Um, I think going through this whole season, um, it's just grown my heart to lo- want to love on others mm-hmm. and comfort others the way I've been comforted in um, so yeah. Okay. So here's a question because we're getting a little bit low on time. Are you guys down for a bullet round? Ooh, yeah. I don't think I even put, did I ever tell you that, but you know what a bullet round is? That's where we like say something and then you have to just tell us what the oh, first man. thing that comes to mind Let's is. Do it. <laughs> it's risky on a podcast it's because it's about to get awkward. Yeah. yeah. Out of the overflow of the heart of the mouth speaks. <laughs> so <laughs> we shall see. All right. So what we'll do is we're going to throw out a subject. Okay. You, you know, we'll switch off. Something. And then, then we'll just see. They both have to answer. And you don't have to wait for each other to answer. You just, just go. throw it out. Okay. You know? That's scary. That's, okay. Yeah. That was, the way that I said that was very emphatic. <laughs> throw it out. <laughs> throw it out there. I can't see my hand motions, but it was very, uh, yeah, it was very okay. Donald Trumpish, you know? <laughs> throw it out. All right. You ready? Okay. Here we go. You'll start. I, I can start. Yosemite. Love Waterfall. it. <laughs> Joe Biden. Hold on. No, no, oh. wait. I have to comment on that. Because did you hear? Now we know the now next they one. Now know the next one. I'm preparing. Did you see what happened there? That was like, you saw the linear analytic answer. 
And then you saw waterfall. That was, <laughs> it was perfect. The ar- artesian. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I, I gave the next it away. One. Sorry, Joe Biden. Marbles. <laughs> no comment. Okay. <laughs> oh, funny. Okay. Canon. I want to make sure I get this right. Canon 5DS. Did I get the right one? I don't know. Uh, 5DX? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I just typed in what's the best camera, the best digital camera in the world. I don't know. Uh, the camera that I'll go back to after Sony. Another mm. camera again? <laughs> that's perfect. Oh, that's getting real. How many cameras does he have? Oh, I don't even know. It's kind of like a running joke between us, though, because, I mean, technology is constantly improving, and so there's always new gear and yeah. always new cameras coming out. And so it's like every once in a while he'll like start talking about this one again. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All Plan- right, planned, ops- planned obsolescence. That's <laughs> what they're doing to you. There's totally. no there there with camera gear. There is Mm-mm. none. That's yeah. why you actually want Chelsea to work for you to make more money so you buy more cameras. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> You're up. Okay, Jocelyn Grace today. Oh, in heaven. Heaven. And then here's here here's one. Your marriage. Eight years in, scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. Best thing ever. Hey. Love it. <laughs> High five. Come on, come on. You know that they've done studies, and I don't know who they are. Never do. Is they say it takes nine years before you start thinking as one. Mm. So here you are. Here we are. Yeah. We're, we're we already like, dress as one sometimes. So yeah, got 10 months to really figure it <laughs> out. as one. That happens. Bree and I have, have noticed that. You'll notice today now. we're yeah. matching now. A little bit. A In little the bit. early years, what I would do is I'd set up my outfit and iron it. I'm very persnickety. And then she would watch. A and I found out. She didn't tell me she was doing this. And then I'd show up at church or whatever and she's wearing the same color because she was. But now it's just, if you look at our family and our dog, we all look alike. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got to say, it is hard to put into words how much we love you and respect you. You are a walking testimony. Your reliance on the sovereignty and goodness of God. Mm-hmm. And even when that doesn't make sense to us, is yeah. there anything you want to add? Just listening to you guys reminds me of a favorite verse, Job 42, two. you know, that I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And your guys' example has constantly pointed people back and shown your trust in the sovereignty of the Lord. So thank you. And I think that our time together deserves a round of applause. Ethan? It's time for what we call our drive home segment here. Ethan has just cued what the that is, the old van. Astro van. <laughs> and um, Ethan, you got to turn that off. That's hard. There he goes. Nope. Nope. It's still there. <laughs> it takes a while to pull away from the curve. Love, let's take some time to discuss what we've just heard mm-hmm. and maybe establish some principles that our date night family and our church family can hold on to when they walk through dark days. Because, I mean, just sitting there listening to Mark and Chelsea, the reality is, unless the Lord returns, we're all going to be there. Yes. Uh, maybe not that pain, but there will be trials. Maybe it's best to just kind of break up this next section into two categories. Mm-hmm. The helping and the hurting. See what I did there? Alliterating, H and H. Meaning, what are some keys to being a good support when our friends or family are going through it? And then we're kind of in the role of helper. And then what do we do and hold on to when we're on the other side and we're in the hurt ourselves? Mm, That's good. And well, I'd say when it comes to the helping category, there are certain things we can do that are truly helpful and other things that can almost feel harmful. Um, Just like Chels had mentioned and... Carolyn Ross, she's a pastor's wife. I had the pleasure of spending some time uh, when she spoke on this subject this summer, and she said that she really appreciated those that said few words, but instead just did things to help. Mm -hmm. They brought food, they cleaned the house, they wrote thank yous for her, they shopped even for her funeral clothes. That was so special. 
Um, they sent little notes, would continue to ask questions about their children uh, that had passed and just to share time with her and give her, most importantly, a listening ear. Um, a few of the harmful things she mentioned were, like what Chelsea mentioned, bad theological statements, ignoring or avoiding her out of nerves, um, pretending like nothing happened at all. And the reality was people meant well, but they just didn't know what to do. So they didn't do anything really at mm. all. So that is more on the helping category mm -hmm. to give us a little bit of a framework for mm -hmm. what to do or not do. Let's switch over to the hurting category because I know immediately and there all of our minds, well, for you and me, they go to the same book, Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. Yes. But the reality is, is there's lots of people that are listening and they either are in the pain or are going to go into the pain. I love mm -hmm. that old statement. When it comes to the Christian life, you're either in the battle, you're either coming out of the battle or just going into a new yeah. battle. And that book for us, Trusting God by Jerry Bridges, has been such a tremendous heart medicine mm -hmm. and to many people in our congregation. I think step one, I would tell anybody, jump on Amazon, order the book. Once you get into the first chapter or two, you'll be, you'll be locked in. And for those who've been in crisis or are in crisis, the reality is learning to trust God in adversity is immensely difficult. And we all will struggle with it because we ask those hard questions. Does God actually control it all? What's he doing when things get tough? Um, didn't he promise to deliver on the day of trouble? And if we're just honest, it's often easier to obey God than to trust God. Hmm. Because obedience is worked out within defined mm -hmm. boundaries, right? Here's the Bible. Here's his will. Now I know what to do or not do. But trusting is something that I got to do without noticeable boundaries. Uh, but here's the key. It's just as important to trust God as it is to obey God. Because whereas disobedience defies his holiness, lack of trust or lack of faith doubts his goodness. Yeah, and that's why we recommend the book, because Bridges journeys through the scriptures to present what we call that triangle of trust. Let me explain. First, that God is completely sovereign. Second, that God is infinite in wisdom. And third, that he's perfect in love. So we call that the triangle of trust. In his love, he wills our best. In his wisdom, he knows our best. Mm -hmm. and in his sovereignty, he has the power and will always work out our best. And that's why we call it the triangle of trust. Uh, and those truths are just attested to on virtually every page of scripture. Yeah. And let me just stop there for a sec and personalize it a bit. If by chance you're in a season of crisis, hearing big God theology can feel honestly impersonal, mm -hmm. almost preachy. Yep. And I've suffered from illness and had months being bedridden. And please know that these truths come with sensitivity and understanding. And if we could, we'd be there by your side, willing to mourn with you and um, weep with those who weep. Yes. You always, we always want to meet people there um, in those moments of pain. So let me go ahead and kind of just take, I don't know, three, four minutes here and give a big picture of this. Here's the foundational truth that carries us through crisis as Christians. We call it the providence of God, or simply put, God's intervention in human affairs. And I'm going to give the big theological definition first, and then we'll break it down. Here's the fancy schmancy definition. And you heard Chelsea and Mark just coming back to this again and mm -hmm. again and again. It's, quote, God's constant care for and absolute rule over all of his creation. And here's the objective, for his glory and his people's good. So we got that. God's constant care for and absolute rule over all of his creation for his glory and his people's good. Now let's do that without the big words. Little pieces. The providence of God describes God's involvement in daily life. And the Bible teaches he's involved in everything. Literally, there's not one sparrow that falls to the ground unless the Father permits, Matthew 10, 29 and 30. Mm. And we've got to let that sink in. Nothing happens without God's hand. 
and I'll be gentle here, but mistake number one that we often make, and I don't think we do it intentionally, I think mm-hmm. it's just an, an implicit understanding of theology, is we connect God's providence only to the good events in our life. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like my, my tire was almost flat, and I, I, I providentially, we use that word, right. I providentially found a gas station. But we conversely never hear anyone attribute God's providence to the difficult things, mm-hmm. right? Hey, there's a tornado. Oh, God's providence. Right. And that leads to mistake number two. It implies that God only intervenes at special points in our life. He's kind of a spectator most of the time. You know, every once in a while he steps in like a genie and he makes a smile. And that's subconsciously the way many Christians view God, mm-hmm. kind of the practical deism, the idea that they're masters of their own fate. But cover to cover, the Bible teaches the opposite. God's hand is in everything. And I already mentioned Jesus' statement about the sparrow. Acts 17, 25, he gives to all life and breath and all things and determine their appointed time and the boundaries of their habitation. Uh, Daniel 4, 34, and all the inhabitants of the earth, they count as nothing, hmm. but he does according to his will and the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Or Lamentations three thirty seven, who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the most high that both good and ill will go forth? So across scripture, we see God's hand in everything, the seeming good things, the difficult things. I mean, just put it into like actual visual form. Jesus faced the cross. That was God's plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Peter was miraculously released. James was executed. Mm-hmm. That was God's plan. I mean, think about it this way. Imagine you're married to Peter and then your friend, you know, she's married to, to James. And, and around the same time, Peter gets miraculously freed from jail. Um, and yet James, your husband, he's executed. Right. So Peter's wife runs home and goes, oh, look what God did. What is James' wife supposed to say? The reality is, is he, he did both. Joseph was thrown in a pit and sold into slavery, but it was God's plan. On and on and on it goes. Mm-hmm. And here's the key. The last part of that definition is critical. What we call the twofold objective to all of this. God's glory, that's number one, and our good. Yes. God is actively involved in everything for those two outcomes. And those two outcomes are always in harmony. They're inextricably bound. They're never antithetical. God has structured entire, the entire cosmos to point to his glory and bring eternal good to his children. And there's never going to be one molecule in the entire universe that subverts that plan. Mm. Kind of make sense? Yes. And that's where the triangle of trust comes in, where we're asking hard questions. He's infinitely wise to know our best. He's infinitely good to choose our best. And he's infinitely sovereign to enact our best. And there's nothing more comforting than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just pause and think about the Andersons, what we just heard. That's it. For the Andersons to know that Jocelyn's little life was appointed to be brief, and that even though in the pain of a fallen world, God was lovingly working a plan for Jocelyn, for them, mm-hmm. for the doctors, for the family members, for our entire church who felt the pain. And we're edified by their faithfulness through it. Yes. Christians are truly the only people in the world who can suffer with hope. And then here's the key, and even gratitude. Mm, honestly, I feel like we should spend more time on this subject. I know. I totally agree. But we're out of time. We're way over time. So I think it's probably best to just pause. I'm thinking about all the questions that mm-hmm. were asked and sent in. I'm thinking about sitting here with Mark and Chelsea. I'm thinking about this topic. And I'm thinking about how many thousands of people are sitting around the country and around the world right now who are in crisis Mm -hmm. and how important it is that they're able to trust such a wonderful God. So let's just pray for for all of them. Dear Heavenly Father, today we were reminded of your grandeur, that not one molecule runs rogue, 
that not one hair of our head falls without your knowledge. Even the smallest birds of the air live and move based on your design. So we praise you. And right now we pray for those enduring crisis that are hurting in tragedy, the dark night of the soul, that their trust would be in your goodness and power, and that even this episode would meet them where they are, wiping their tears and strengthening their knees to hold up their chin and to walk with hope just one more day. So please, show them your hand in this. Use their testimony in this. Glorify yourself in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, just in case you missed it, that book again is called Trusting God by Jerry Bridges, and it's one of our all-time favorites. All-time, all-time, all-time <laughs> favorites. Even our church, we're going to be spending the rest of, actually the whole next year, 2023, yes. going through the sovereignty of God, I can't wait. the providence of God, and trusting God. So let me add, if you're hurting, don't hesitate to reach out for prayer. We'd love to talk to you. Yes, and please send us a note, leave a review, call the hotline, and keep your questions coming. We'll be back in 14 days with a new pod, another pod? double date with special guests, and loads more fun. <laughs> Are we sticking with pod? Totally. I'm just saying, nobody says pod. Well, nobody wants to be called Maverick either. Ah, uh, I love you. <laughs>